Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Patrick Myers, and I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spratley. We're attorneys with NFP, and we use this podcast to bring you information relating to employee benefits. Today, we're going to discuss recent uh, guidance issued by the Department of Labor relating to mental health in the Family Medical Leave Act, which is also known as FMLA. Suzanne, do you think the fact that May was Mental Health Awareness Month provided the motivation to release this guidance? You know, I think you're probably correct. It's, you know, at any time, it's nice to see guidance coming out of the DOL um, to clarify areas of the law that may be confusing or not entirely clear. So we welcome it no matter what it's tied to. And and certainly with May being Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, we, you know, the EEOC is reminding employers that employees grappling with mental health conditions may be eligible for leave under FMLA. Uh, it was the guidance actually came out later in the month, May 25th. They, the DOL issued a resource document that was titled Fact Sheet Number 280, Mental Health Conditions and the FMLA. And they really wanted to address when eligible employees of covered employers could use FMLA for their own or their family members' serious mental health conditions. It included some FAQs with regards to this interplay. And so I think overall it was very helpful. Before we dig into the guidance, though, let's level set with a quick background on the FMLA. Okay, I'll make this very quick because, again, our audience is usually very familiar with the FMLA, but just to quickly level set, certain employers must provide eligible employees with up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave during a 12-month period for either their own serious health condition or to care for the serious health condition of a spouse, child under 18, or parent, other family members. And as we have, you know, limited time, I'm not going to go through the FMLA in great detail because just what I said there, you could unpack for some time. For example, how do you define eligible employee who's a covered employer? Uh, we won't go into those definitions, but we will unpack some other definitions. Um, and for our purposes of our discussion today, you know, for example, what is a serious health condition? We will dig into that. Um, and there are other applications for FMLA beyond serious health condition. We'll, we'll probably touch on a few of those today. It's important to note, though, that FMLA does require employers to continue um, an employee's group health benefits under the same conditions as if the employee had not taken leave and also to restore them to the same or virtually identical position at the end of the leave period. And so, meaning there's no retaliation also um, for that FMLA leave. Those are kind of the overarching, I think, uh, goals of FMLA. Those are some good reminders. Now, speaking of unpacking, let's unpack the term serious health conditions. Well, I will do so as it relates to mental health. So in general, a mental health, uh, serious health condition would be considered uh, serious under the FMLA in two ways. So the first one would involve inpatient care. So um, a serious health condition that requires inpatient care would be for mental health purposes, like an overnight stay in a hospital or, for example, at some other kind of medical care treatment facility, like, like a treatment center for addiction or for eating disorders. And then the second way that a mental health condition would qualify as serious under the FMLA is when there is continuing treatment by a healthcare provider. So this would include conditions that incapacitate a individual for more than three consecutive days 
and require ongoing treatment. So that could mean either multiple appointments with a healthcare provider, and in the mental health context, that would be like a psychiatrist, a clinical psychologist, a clinical social worker, um, or it could involve just a single appointment and then follow-up care. Like the, the follow-up care could be something like prescription medication, or it could be outpatient rehab counseling or behavioral therapy. So um, it would also include though, uh, chronic conditions. And I think that's where we seem to overlook sometimes FMLA. And that would be things like anxiety, depression, or disassociative disorders that cause possibly just occasional periods when a person's incapacitated, but they require treatment by a healthcare provider at least twice a year. Those are probably the areas that tend to crop up that we don't automatically think of FMLA. Now, there's another way in which FMLA applies, and that's when there is a disability. Can you discuss how that relates to mental health? Yes. Well, and the fact she actually pointed to the fact that some mental health conditions could satisfy both the definition of serious health condition or the definition of disability under the FMLA, even though they, the statutory tests are different. But the DOL recognizes that under FMLA, a disability is a mental or physical impairment that substantially limits one or more of the major life activities of an individual. And so in order to define uh, you know, what this looks like, the FMLA uses the EEOC's regulations under the ADA, the American with Disabilities Act. So if we turn to the EEOC's definition or, or their guidance, they stated that mental conditions that should easily be concluded to substantially limiting, uh, you know, one or more life activities of an individual would include things like a major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, obsessive compulsive disorder and schizophrenia. So those are, are ones that they, you know, explicitly listed as easily fitting within the idea of a disability and therefore also having protections under FMLA. Um, I will say the guide also noted that the conditions that may only be active periodically are considered disabilities if the condition would substantially limit a major activity during the time in which it's active. So it doesn't have to be you know, it can just be limited to those times. Okay. Well, now let's walk through some examples of how the guidance applies to various family members. Yeah, I think they kind of walk through some examples, and I do think it's helpful. I'm going to do it in the context of the Simpsons family for <laughs> illustrative purposes, but we'll start with Homer. So Homer's going to be the employee in this context, and Homer is occasionally unable to work. He's got severe anxiety probably with being the father of Bart Simpson, um, he sees a doctor monthly to manage his symptoms, and he, he's using FMLA to take time off when he can't work unexpectedly because of his severe anxiety or when he has these regularly scheduled appointments to see his doctor. So those are both situations the guide pointed out are, are perfectly valid reasons to use FMLA. So now let's extend to Homer's wife, Marge. So Marge now has had some difficulties also. She's been put into an inpatient facility um, she's uh, just completed a 60-day inpatient drug rehab treatment program, and Homer wants to go travel to the inpatient facility, attend the aftercare meeting for Marge, and so he has asked, requested FMLA leave for just one day to go do that. So that, that again, is a valid example of the use of FMLA in the context of helping a family member who has a serious health condition um, and is receiving treatment. And then we're going to look at BART, of course. So Bart is also, um, he is having treatment. Bart is the child of Homer. 
He is having inpatient treatment for a mental health condition, and he's recently released. But he needs some assistance. And so um, Bart is 20 years old. He and Homer wants to really take care of Bart. He still needs some assistance. And so uh, Bart is unable to do things like cleaning and cooking and shopping and some of these other daily activities for himself. He can't go to work. He can't go to school. And so Homer has requested some leave to care for Bart under these conditions. And that, again, is an example, as pointed out in the guide, as a valid reason for Homer to use FMLA. Okay. The FMLA also provides eligible employees with up to 26 work weeks of military caregiver leave in a 12-month period to care for a covered service member and certain veterans with serious illnesses. Can you speak to that in this context? Well, that's true. And I think mental health certainly is an issue, uh, obviously, for our service members. An employee is able to use the military caregiver leave under FMLA to care for a relative who is a covered veteran undergoing treatment, recuperation, or therapy for a serious uh, mental health condition. Um, and that is one that would be defined as incurred in the line of duty when the veteran was on active duty in the armed forces. Um, it could also be an illness that resulted from the aggravation of a condition that existed before the veteran's active duty service. So it's it's in the mental health context, especially, it could be something that manifests itself during active duty or it could develop after the service member becomes a veteran. So, for example, in the most, most common one in this context would be post-traumatic stress disorder. It could also be traumatic brain injury or depression, for example. So again, let's let's use Bart as as our example, and he's going to be Bart has gone into the military and he started having symptoms of PDS, PTSD three years after he was honorably discharged from the military service. And Homer again has requested FMLA because he he wants to use two weeks to transport Bart to and from different outpatient treatments that he's receiving at the VA hospital and to assist him with some of those day to day needs while he is incapacitated. So again. As pointed out in this guide, that's a valid reason for Homer to request um, FMLA in the context of a military uh, caregiver leave for a mental health issue. Now, as a reminder under this, the, the employer could request um, from the military caregiver um, that it be supported by certification. So, and that's similar to other types of FMLA leave. In this case, the certification could be completed by like the Department of Defense, the VA, TRICARE, a TRICARE health provider, or even by just a private health care provider. So just a reminder on that for employers. Well, that's a good reminder. But let's shift gears for a minute. And uh, because the, the guidance also reminds employers about retaliation. Right. Yeah. And I... You know, I want to bring this up. It's always important to remember, and it's always, you know, it could really creep up on you in different ways. Uh, so I want to bring out a lawsuit, and I think lawsuits are always great examples of how this plays out in real life. Um, so this this lawsuit is not a recent one, but again, I, I just think it has an interesting fact pattern. It involves Wells Fargo. So here's some background. You have an employee. We're going to call it Bart Simpson in this case again. Um, Bart was hired by Wells Fargo in March of 2012 as a sales consultant. Um, and started showing performance issues right off the bat. So the initial review showed that he was underperforming in a number of different areas, including, you know, meeting the annual sales goal. He continued to, to decline in his performance into the next year, and he was given a, an informal warning by his supervisor 
Um, and then when his performance did not improve, he was given a formal performance review that was included a warning that he could be fired if his performance didn't, you know, get up to speed. So after that formal warning, Bart told his boss that he was having health issues and he had talked to his doctor and his doctor had recommended surgery. Um, but before he actually had that surgery, he received another performance review showing that he was off track in every single performance category. So as soon as that happened, he requested FMLA leave and he went out for a neck surgery, came back within five weeks. Upon his return, his supervisor said, you know, you're, you're really close to being terminated. And then just a few months into it, um, the supervisor sent an email to HR and to his own manager saying, okay, I think it's time. We, we need to move forward with termination as soon as possible for all of these reasons, listing a bunch of valid performance issues. But then for some reason added that the firing was justified because the employee had submitted a request for medical leave. Obviously, I think hope, hopefully all of you know that you would never put that um, and that would not be a reason for termination of your employee. Uh, the employee was then fired. Uh, it was listed that it was for continued poor performance, but the employee turned around and filed, in this case, we'll use Bart Simpson, turned around and filed an FMLA retaliation lawsuit. And, you know, they're looking at this and saying, how could that be? They've had a clear evidence of performance issues, but the court would not allow the suit to be dismissed. Um, and there were certainly, even though they had all of this evidence of subpar performance. So it was essentially, you know, the supervisor's email that, that spoke to the leave that really sunk it for the company. But it wasn't just that. Um, so it, it also stated in the court de deposition, the, the manager stated that he really wasn't familiar with FMLA leave and uh, because he was on the front line. So that's a, that's a big problem. You never want your frontline managers to be able to say, I, I don't know anything about FMLA leave, I'm just a manager. The court did not take kindly to that because courts, because managers have to be trained on how to handle leave under their company policy, under federal state law. And so it's very important that employers provide that type of training to managers, that managers are very clear on, on how they need to treat these employees. Um, really, it should be um, remind those managers and under no uncertain terms that they cannot comment about an employee's leave. You know, that's strictly prohibited. You cannot terminate a, an employee based on their leave. It's also worth noting that in this case, um, that there were some other employees who had missed their sales goals but had not been fired. And so another key reminder for employers that you really look at similarly situated employees. Before you fire someone who's just returned to leave, you wanna compare him or her to those others that are in the same situation and make sure that you're treating them consistently. Those are really good reminders. We're getting close to the end, so do you have any closing thoughts? Well, the fact sheet that we are talking about in this podcast is it only is focusing, of course, on the federal FMLA rights. But don't forget that employees have rights under other disability laws, under state or local laws. So make sure that as an employer, you're aware of, of the entire scope of the laws that would impact an employee's termination. Um, but most importantly, make sure that you're reviewing those policies. Look at your FMLA policies. Look at your leave policies. Make sure that you're paying close attention to especially those chronic conditions that can fall into the cracks. Those things like anxiety and depression and the, the disassociative disorders, all of those may cause just that periodic or those occasional periods when they're incapacitated and don't you know, rise to the level of what we typically think of FMLA, even though they are protected by FMLA. So just make sure you're up to speed on that and that your policies clearly permit for leave under those conditions as required. 
Well, thank you, Suzanne, for sharing those reminders as well as your thoughts on this timely topic. Certainly, and as we like to say, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us.